Hello and welcome to the Eco Chamber, brought to you by the team from the environmental policy magazine, The Ends Report. In this episode, we're experiencing heavy déjà vu at the reappearance of some very familiar faces at DEFRA. We'll examine why the government still hasn't set its legally required nature and water targets. Then we'll look at why the Environment Agency is taking its sweet, sweet time over issuing permits to industry and forcing some firms to actually operate without them. Then we're going to delve into the agency's rapidly dwindling world of enforcement. So without further ado, let's enter the Eco Chamber. I'm Rachel Salvage, and today I'm here as usual with Jamie Carpenter and Tess Colley. One of the first Big Green News stories today is about the return of some familiar faces to DEFRA. Therese Coffey, who was a DEFRA Waste Minister between 2016 and 2090, is back, and this time as Environment Secretary. And also Rebecca Powell, who was Environment Minister when George Eustace was Environment Secretary, she's also come back to the department then we have Trudy Harrison, who's back as Waste Minister, uh, alongside Lord Benyon, and leaving, I guess, Mark Spencer as DEFRA's sole drop of freshest blood, even though he was uh, entering the department in September this year. So, Tess, what has been the general reaction to having Therese Coffee back? Well, a bit of a mix. I think the first feeling amongst most people was just... Joy? Joy, yes. Well, joy to see the back of Ranald Jai Wardener, who I think most people thought didn't have a a great grasp of the portfolio Mm. and was not going to be good news for the environment in any way, shape or form. So pleased that he's gone. Mm. Therese Coffey, a bit of a mixed history when it comes comes to the environment. A lot of people remember a kind of infamous now tweet about a certain brand of weed killer, which she uh, was very excited to be mm. using in her garden. Containing glyphosate. Yeah. Yes. So that's that's how people are kind of waiting to see what she does, I think, because mm. there's a lot on her plate now. You, you mentioned the environmental targets, which the deadline's just been missed. We've also She's also going to have to look at elms and all the, the land use reform coming mm. down the line. And nothing's happened yet. She's not she's not come out on any kind of policy position on any of that, just saying, you know, the usual sort of stuff about protecting the environment. Uh, we've heard that she has met with the, the green groups, the kind of RSPB and the wildlife trusts who had a very poor relationship with Ranald Jaywardner. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe there's a little easing of tensions there, but it's all going to be, the proof will be in the pudding yeah. very much. I saw that the Chartered Institute of Wastes Management were fairly pleased because having had the the waste portfolio previously, they they know that she's got a grasp of what's going on there and was part of putting the waste strategy together. So I think they're they're quite mm. uh, buoyed by it. I think um, I've heard slightly less less excited responses from mm. um, conservationists. But Jamie, what have you heard um, in relation to this or to Rebecca Powell or any of the others coming back to the department? I think appointments um, made by prime ministers say a lot about the importance they may attach to a, a particular department or portfolio and it, it kind of feels a bit like sending Therese Coffey to DEFRA is a bit of a punishment because she's she was a <laughs> kind of a close well I think Liz, Liz Truss's closest ally and um, she, she'd clearly not had a very good spell as health secretary in, in the few weeks she was doing that so mm. um, so it's, it's like it's a, it's a demotion for Therese Coffey um, so um but but as 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 Tess was saying, I, I think probably on balance that um, compared to her predecessor, this this is this is probably a little bit encouraging. I mean, then and there were, I think you never quite feel it at the time. But when when Therese Coffey was at the at Defra previously with, with Michael Gove, that was actually it now kind of seems like a golden age for for the department. There's kind of some some 
reasonably progressive <laughs> stuff going on mm. and um she was very heavily involved in the waste and resources strategy so there's there's kind of unfinished business there because that's not really been completed i think rebecca powell's appointment is significant because she she seems to be very well regarded tony juniper from chair of natural england has um kind of welcomed her move back to defra and i think is in, in the context of the environmental land management scheme stuff it's kind of interesting that she's got the back at defra because she she wrote a joint letter with michael gove and um, Theresa villiers a while back sort of warning against a return to land-based subsidies so i think there's a, there's a slight sort of tilt in the balance of power within defra now and um could be interesting to see how that plays out. Mm. Yeah, Juniper was tweeting, "Hooray!" He was seemed to be over the moon that uh, power is back, which was good to see. Mm. On the on the water side, people that I speak to are less impressed with with uh, her previous performance and whether she's going to be any good in terms of getting water quality back up. But yeah, yeah, I think it seems to be generally a positive vibe. Yeah, although I think Mark Spencer's well reappointment in Defra mm-hmm. that 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 wasn't taken very well by a lot of people in conservation circles because he is leading this review into Elms. Right. Uh, and so perhaps that review's not going anywhere. But, you know, what Jamie said is right. Certainly when I was at the Tory conference a few weeks ago, Rebecca Powell was there and very present on the, the kind of environmental fringe scene, pushing back on a rollback of Elms, mm. kind of going up against Mark Spencer on, on panels. Uh, so it's interesting. They're both going to be in the department oh. now. Um, interesting times. Yes. How long Mark Spencer is as a, is at the department after today's news will be interesting to to see. Yeah, not a great not a great morning round. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so let let's move on. So they've got a lot to do. They've, as you've mentioned, Tess, they've got the Elms. There's a whole review of the agencies that are uh, ongoing. Mm. There's you know torching all those EU derived reg, uh, regulations, and so yeah, very mm. busy bunch. Our second story is about those environmental targets that we mentioned slightly earlier. We've been banging on about them a lot here on the Eco Chamber. Uh, Under the 2021 Environment Act, the government was supposed to set a range of environmental targets on water, nature, waste and so on. It was supposed to table them today. That's the 31st of October. But that's not going to happen. Therese Coffey, our new Environment Secretary, has said that, well, you know, we received so many responses to the consultation, we can't possibly get the work done in time, so we're going to have to uh, wait and see. But don't worry, because they will lay those statutory instruments as soon as is practicable, that all-purpose nebulous get-out-of-jail-free term. <laughs> Tess, can you tell us a bit more about the what's missing and what we've got and what might happen? Well, what's missing is all of the targets. Uh, <laughs> Everything. Everything. What's, what's missing is... Uh, this suite of long-term environmental targets on nature, water, air quality and waste. It's gone down awfully amongst a whole, a, a wide range of stakeholders. You've obviously got kind of the, the green groups who you'd expect to not be happy with it, but also a number of, of politicians. You've had the Labour's shadow, shadow Environment Secretary, Jim McMahon, come out. You know, he said failing to meet the legal deadline to introduce these targets, to have clean air and, and water amounts to a monumental dereliction of duty. Mm. So very strong there. Ruth Chambers from, from Greener UK, she said, she pointed out that you know, it's hard for the government to claim to have all these green commitments, which we've seen Rishi Sunak make, you know, in, in Houses of Parliament, on, yeah. on the floor of the chamber. Uh, it's hard to make these commitments that the party are all, all about green green measures when they don't actually meet these environmental kind of legal deadlines. And the OEP, most interestingly, well, for me, certainly I think so, they've come out a bit of a growl, can we call it that, from the watchdog? <laughs> a growl? Yeah. I thought it was quite weak. I thought Did it was you? quite gentle. Well... 
I guess well, it's it's, it's a growl, not a bite. Mm, um, <laughs> they've 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 said they're basically saying with they're they're actively reviewing, keeping an active eye on the enforcement measures they could use against Defra. Mm-hmm. They've noted a, many a kind of suite of, of legal deadlines have been missed uh, in the last year or last two years. They're keeping an active watch on it, but won't do anything yet because they kind of say, well. That could slow you down, late tabling these these targets even more, yeah. and we don't want to do that. So, Tess, so if it is going to brandish big sticks, mm. what does it have in its arsenal? What could it actually do? Well, it's got quite broad formal enforcement powers, and that can include anything from issuing what they call a formal decision notice to taking a public authority to court. Although, from everything that we've heard the OP say since it was established, I think it's probably unlikely they're going to kind of start an investigation tomorrow or anything that that's definitely they, they they talk all the time about wanting to have dialogue and wanting to yeah to not have to use the stick but if they do that yeah taking um proceedings to the high court through environmental review is something they can do so we will see yeah jamie what are your thoughts on the oep's reaction i, th- I thought it was quite interesting that um in in the letter from dame glennis stacy the chair that she she talked about the oep being concern that there's a there's a pattern of behavior from defra when i interviewed um natalie prosser the chief exec a few months ago that she she was clear that the oip is kind of looking for patterns of rule breaking by public bodies so so kind of systematic failures and i, I kind of wonder whether there's there's something significant there where, where it might not necessarily be that defra is going to get in trouble just for missing these this this one deadline but actually that the, it, it could be kind of broader than that. So, so as, as I was saying, there's been a kind of I think in the in the annex that less letter that the the OEP lists um, four different statutory deadlines that have been missed and, and suggests there's more. So, so I wonder whether that's that's the kind of scope they're looking at. The, the wildlife trusts are also they're calling for the OEP to investigate the missed deadline on the environmental targets. Um, but it could be that that's just the the kind of tip of the iceberg here. Mm. What what are the other deadlines that have been missed, Tess? Well, it's a few, but in in the this letter that the OEP chair wrote to Therese Coffey, there are four particular legal deadlines that they mentioned. One of them is that the government failed to publish, they say, reports setting out conclusions on reviews into some environmental impact assessment regimes. Right. They first raised alarm about this in September in kind of written evidence around the the levelling up and regeneration bill committee stage. Updated river basin management plans were meant to be published in December last year. Uh, we still don't have finalised versions. Uh, they're, they've kind of been consulted on and we're waiting to hear back about them. Air pollution as well. Jeff was due to publish the outcome of a review of the National Air Pollution Control Programme. And that was meant to come in September this year. Had didn't come. And also situation reports on the disposal of urban wastewater and sludge uh, that deadline on that was missed as well. Mm. So there's, there's across across kind of environmental areas, yeah, uh, the things are being missed. Yeah, yeah. And I think we we've talked before about the the state of the actual targets that were proposed, oh, that were put up for consultation anyway, and a lot of them were found wanting, according to you know lots of uh, across mm. lots of groups. But we won't go into that because we've talked about that before. But if you do want to hear more about that, go to energyreport.com. And I think if you want to put your details in there, you can have 
you can fill your boots with Ends Report articles for a whole month for free. So it's probably worth going and have a look at that. Moving on to our final story of big green news. Uh, we're looking now at the excruciating long delays in the Environment Agency's environmental permitting system. It's another long-running saga. In January, we reported that businesses were having to wait around eight months for a bespoke permit. But now, uh, in a story that we wrote last week, the delay is now as long as 20 months for a bespoke permit. And for some businesses who can't afford to wait that long, it's just having, they are just having to operate without any permit at all. For those that are waiting, it's costing them a fortune in lost revenue. Jamie, can you, can you tell us a little bit more about what's going on here? Yeah, well, well as, as you say, this is a, a long-running issue um, that people have been complaining about with the Environment Agency, that, that permits are, are taking too long to be issued, and um, particularly bespoke permits. And as there's a promise of a, a six-month average wait time, but, but a lot of sources that Pippa spoke to, to told her that um, delays are actually much longer. And that means that... Um, the sort of stakeholders, businesses that the Environment Agency uh, works with, they kind of either in a position of, of potentially having to operate without a, a valid permit or waiting waiting months and months and months for one. And um, both, both of those those situations are far from ideal. So, yeah, it could be a breach of rules or, or I think one of the people that people spoke to said basically you can't you, you can't make a massive multi-million pound investment sort of if, if you can't actually start earning money for months um, so it doesn't just doesn't make any sense. So I think it's um, it's it's really really concerning. Yeah, yeah, it's really difficult. So what's the environment agency saying about it? Is it resources? Is uh, is it COVID? What what are they pinning this on? Demands on services means it's not always met its customer expectations on waiting and processing times, but it, it takes its responsibility to protect the environment very seriously, <laughs> which mm. you, you'd hope it does do because it's the environmental regulator. <laughs> Standard response. <isn't> it? <laughs> yeah, and and it kind of mentions the the blocker to real progress is its resource gap but they're, they're, they're hoping that performance will be largely recovered in april and it's taken significant recruitment to meet future demands so i think i think one, one of the things we covered recently is is around um strike action over pay which the unions are saying is having a really big impact on people leaving but also the ability to recruit so i think that that's probably one of the one of the key drivers here yeah definitely definitely obviously it's terrible for business if you just bought a site and you can't do anything with it for two years then you're you know or 20 months whatever the figure is that's really going to really going to hurt and make things completely impossible but what does it mean for the environment if if there are companies out there that are just starting to function and they they don't really know whether they're doing it within within the rules is, is it is there the potential for i don't know more pollution or something or things like that or do you think they're just trying to go within what they would understand to be a permit and guessing at it that, yeah that's a, that's a really good question i mean I, I guess that um it would just depend on the on the organization and how how seriously they take compliance but i, I but i suppose if they're not aware what what rules they're supposed to be operating within then there is there is a risk for negative environmental consequences of that and the agency just won't know what's happening in certain areas of the environment so if they're thinking about granting a permit downstream for example from from one that's operating without one upstream they won't know what the cumulative impact of those those two discharges would be for example um it just seems a little bit of a worry but i'm sure they'll get back on it shortly i have i have no doubt it will be <laughs> up scratch by was it april they said that's what they said yes april yep. Okay, well, we will... Won't be another uh, missed deadline. No, sure, no. <laughs> we have yeah, every faith. So that brings us to the end of our Big Green News section. But, Jamie, we haven't had a quiz for a while. Uh, do you have something up your sleeve for us? Okay. Yes, I, I do have a quiz. In one of our previous episodes, we, we, we discussed the 
at that point, the the inexperienced DEFRA team, there was a really there's a fantastic anecdote about how um, in a, in a meeting with DEFRA officials, one minister said that they'd always loved gardening and spent they then spent half an hour talking about their favourite Beatrix Potter character. We suspect this may be Trudy Harrison, the new environment minister, given given how in her maiden speech she said that we are perhaps best known in Cumbria for a delightful a delightful little rabbit, Peter Rabbit, and his friends, Mrs. Tiggy Winkle and Squirrel Nutkin, to name just three of Beatrice Potter's adorable characters. So great, she's got a grasp on the big issues. Good, big issues exactly. So as you, you're probably guessing what's coming here, so this this is the Eco Chambers Beatrix Potter quiz, and Rachel Tess, can you answer? Which types of animal are the following Beatrix Potter characters? Oh God. <laughs> you know so, about three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we start off with a with a with an easy one. I think um, Mrs. Tiggywinkle. Beep hedgehog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of my three. Okay. Number two, we've got um, Jeremy Fisher. A frog. Toad. A a frog fish. is correct. It's a frog. Oh. Um, hang on, I've lost my notes again now. Um, okay, number three. Um, can you can you guess what Miss Moppet is? A rabbit. It's not rabbit. No, no. A squirrel. That'll be a nutkin oh, okay. until something. It's a, it's a cat, I'm afraid. Oh, okay. Next one is Mr. Todd. Oh, that's got toad. Not no, much of a clue in that name, is there? No, Mr. Todd. No. Badger. It's a fox. Oh. <laughs> And then the final one is um, Timmy Tiptoes. Tim Mouse. No? No, Tiptoes. Vol. Squirrel. Rat. Squirrel. It's a squirrel. squirrel. <laughs> yeah, so there we go. So I hope everyone feels like they've learnt, learnt something mm. today. So. Mm. Just like a cabinet meeting. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Great. Thank you for that, Jamie. Uh, that brings us to the end of our Big Green News section. So I just want to say thank you to Tess Collie and Jamie and I. We're going to stay and talk about uh, environment agency enforcement. So now this is our deep dive section and Jamie and I are going to delve into the diminishing world of environment agency enforcement. We've been reporting on the faltering enforcement numbers on the ENS report for years. And as I said, go to ENSReport.com and you'll find all that there. There has been no let-up in the downward spiral in terms of the number of prosecutions the Environment Agency has been bringing against environmental offenders. Uh, ENDS analysis, you can go to the site, shows that the Environment Agency prosecutions have fallen by 76% in the last decade. But obviously the picture is not black and white. There are lots of lots of factors influencing this. Jamie, what do you think the main thing is for the drop in prosecutions over the last decade? Well, th- th- there's, there's there's quite a few factors at play, really. So, so um, in the feature that you referred to, one of the reasons that, that um, some of the experts that we spoke to attribute this to is is, is actually we're looking at the last 20 years in, in, in total that actually over that period, companies in many sectors are are taking much greater care when it comes to their environmental performance. And there's kind of there's there's a heightened awareness of compliance, um, and, and pe- people are becoming businesses more aware of how important it is for investors looking at their compliance track record and 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 how when it comes to contracts it can make a difference between whether companies win or lose. That sounds suspiciously like good news, Jamie. <laughs> so what's going well, on? The, yeah, I think that that sounds that sounds mm. like good news, but uh, but I think there's probably more, more possibly some more negative yeah, things hang at on, play as well. But I mean, I think <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> yeah, hang on. So, I mean, we, we, we've, we've, there are these big cuts, the environmental agency's enforcement budget that um, bound to have had an, an impact on the amount of prosecutions that um, 
have been it's been able to carry out they're they're, they're very expensive to to bring so with less money then then that's surely going to have a knock on effect i think the, the the other thing is a kind of strategic decision which the agency's been sort of over the last 10 years or so where it's been relying on in in some cases to on the use of civil sanctions enforcement undertakings um as as a way of dealing with environmental rule breaking rather than prosecutions so that the, these are kind of voluntary agreements where a polluter will make a make a kind of a, a donation to a environmental good cause rather than rather than going through the court so that and they kind of initially were used mainly in in kind of packaging breaches um but they've been used more and more particularly for um well more more recently you've seen quite a lot of them used for water companies where they've, they've broken environmental rules um and one of the interesting things earlier in the year was that emma howard boyd the outgoing or the, the no, no longer the chair now but in, in one of the final things that she said as chair was that basically that that approach hadn't worked it would be great if she'd realized as she was there and able to do something about it wouldn't it <laughs> yeah yeah but um so that, that was that was when the the environment agency published its latest its most recent scorecard of on, on the water companies and that the the performance was worse than ever i I'd imagine there may there may be some possible change in tack when it comes to the approach to enforcement going forward. Mm. So yeah, and this is what I'm hearing from people who work at the agency that the resources that are there, even though they've been dwindling, they're not being spent on frontline work. They're not being spent on monitoring. They're not being spent on people able to go out and catch these incidents happening. Um, so even though there is less money, the way it's being allocated, it's going to sort of internal desk jobs anyway. So they're not going to be able to catch these these polluters in the first instance. And then we were given. Um, internal documents showing that they downgraded 93% of their, their prosecutions for serious pollution over four years between 2016 and, and 2020. So these environment agency officers are putting together all these case files and that takes a really long time. That, you know, that's a big chunk of the work to bring that prosecution and then they just get quashed uh, last minute. It seems from what people are saying that it get, when it goes up the management chain, things start to get get quashed, um, which obviously sounds quite worrying. And if you have fewer frontline officers anyway, it's just, it's, it can't do anything but go in that, that direction of decline, fewer and fewer prosecutions. But what, what's the Environment Agency's argument? They must be coming back and saying, well, it's not the case because... It's, it's not fair to say that they, they aren't prosecuting at all and, and, and that there are some notable big fines recently. So I, I think that, and, and I kind of feel they are, they are actually trying to get the message out a bit more now that they are they are taking action on prosecution so i think that there are kind of more press releases being a bit more proactive about issuing issuing these news releases so i mean that i mean one of the big ones this year was the fine that dairy crest received there's been some fairly big water company ones recently as well so so there is there is prosecution action going on i think i think the environment is it does it does frequently its leadership does refer to the fact that they are clear that they don't have enough resources to do what they need to do but also i think they 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 would like to be able to, firstly, that the, the, these these fines aren't just seen as kind of operating losses for for water companies, but they are actually genuine deterrents or even even perhaps um, prison time for directors. Those those kind of things, because at the moment there those penalties aren't working. I think the, the, there's also a kind of frustration that I think comes through with sometimes that although the courts do have some discretion as to how much they can fine, that often. They don't always follow the well, not often, but sometimes they don't. They don't always follow the sentencing guidelines, so the, the penalties that are levied are actually kind of smaller than the environment agency feels that perhaps they they could be. So I think yeah, but I think the resourcing is is a, is, a, is a key thing, and I think this drive towards enforcement undertakings and whether whether that actually has 
been effective or not is 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 kind of very much open to question but uh, some things that that frustrate me with these what what appear to be sort of phantom regulations i mean the regulations exist but they're not going to be enforced so farming rules for water is a a, a key one they made a a big splash about that. But two years prior to that, uh, sorry, two years after making that announcement and then coming into force, they hadn't made any prosecutions against it whatsoever. And then in a, and James Bevan admitted that Defra told it not to because they wanted to, you know, bed farmers in and give them advice, which does make some sense. Um, but I think the number of prosecutions since then has still been, if any, probably you can count them on one hand. Um, and then, even more shockingly, uh, Ranul Jai Wardner, who... Um, well, blink and you'll miss him. He was Environment Secretary very, very briefly recently and made a, a, an announcement which on the face of it sounded amazing. He said he was going to allow the Environment Agency to issue variable monetary penalties, which are civil, which would actually allow the Environment Agency to directly find the polluter without having to go through the courts uh, from 250,000, which was the old cap, to 250 million, um, which sounded great. But so, you know, I was talking to people about it and we were kind of thinking, well, I, don't, I can't actually recall any of these VMPs being um, levied against uh, polluters and looked around and couldn't find them and then realised that in the 12 years they had the power to do it, they didn't they didn't levy any against the water polluters. I thought, that's a sham, isn't it? And then later on, just digging a tiny bit further, realised that the environmental permitting regime doesn't fall under something that the, envir- the, the VMPs will actually apply to. So not only don't they and won't they, but they can't levy that fine. So I just think that is phenomenally outrageous and I don't know whether it's a huge cock up or a massive conspiracy but either way it's outrageous what actually happens with that particular proposal now is is I mean I wouldn't be surprised if it gets it gets quietly dropped because Ranul Jawadan has moved on and and it kind of had a whiff of kind of new secretary of state wanting to make a big splash at Tory party conference kind of about it it didn't it didn't seem very well thought through and I I think the I guess you, you could say that well it doesn't if there was going to be a consultation on it, and presumably new regulations laid to to make to apply the change, then then perhaps it would be possible to to change variable monetary penalties so they could be used in that way. But even even if that's the case, that it's a it's a it's a kind of a huge expansion of that regime, and it's never been tested in that way before. It doesn't really seem very workable, and I think there, there's kind of big questions over the practicality, like the. There's obviously a low level of enforcement activity going on at the moment, and I, th- I think some, some of the some of the commentary around was about this. This could actually, if if the environment is relying a lot on self-reporting by the water companies at the moment, this could this could kind of reduce the the accuracy of of what they're they're reporting because they don't want to report stuff if they're going to be faced with a 250 million pound instant instant fine yes. so it's um not yeah. known for accurate reporting of their own <laughs> discharges to no, be fair so no, that's this is true yeah. that's true um well we're going to watch with interest and see what the new old old new team new old team uh, at defra are going to do with those regulations if, if they appear if they suddenly fall and uh VMPs, it's all to play for and it's all it's all a bit of a mess. So let's uh, again watch this space. We'll come back to it. It's a very important one. But now we need to move on to Knowing Me, Knowing EU. This is Simon Pickstone and Alice Fillon and they're here to bring you on the latest on green policy from Brussels. Over to you, Alice and Simon. Thank you, Rachel. And today on Knowing Me, Knowing EU, we are looking at a seminal piece of EU legislation the REACH regulation. Now, Simon, before we start, you have you take issues with that acronym. Can you tell us why? I do. Because REACH, R-E-A-C-H, stands for the Registration, 
evaluation, authorization, and restriction of chemicals. But it's missing the last R. It should be Rurch. Well, yeah, and without the last H as well. Mm, Rurch. Yeah, Rurch. Anyway, that aside, um, Reach has been in the news recently over the last couple of weeks because the European Commission had grand plans to revise it in line with its European Green Deal. It still has grand plans to revise it. It still has grand plans to revise it. However, those plans have been delayed and they've been now officially confirmed. The European Commission was telling people um, that it would release its revision proposal in May. In May of... Next year. 2023. Correct. Yep. But release its work programme two weeks ago for the next year, in which it says it will aim to release the revision proposal now in the fourth quarter of 2023. So, why is that a big deal? I mean, in some ways it's very standard for proposals to get delayed, particularly when they're about really big pieces of legislation like REACH's. Yeah, but having said that, REACH is very much a priority piece of legislation. Mm, That's absolutely correct. It is. So it's a big deal that it's being delayed. It's a big deal. So green groups and MEPs, mainly from the progressive end of the spectrum, are unhappy about this because there's now a good chance that the overall revision proposal won't come into law until after the European elections from 2024. And European elections effectively can often reset the clock a bit on bits of legislation. You You could potentially have a new set of people at the European Commission, you're going to have a new... New set of people at the Parliament. At the Parliament. So um, things that are ongoing may just be kind of dropped or they may be transformed or we don't know. So it just adds another layer of uncertainty. If it's not gone through before the elections in the Parliament, that means that potentially new people have to come in and look at the proposal in Parliament and essentially it just means the scrutiny process starts over again to some extent. Yeah, exactly. It's a big deal because... The European Commission has got some really interesting ideas about what it wants to do with REACH. I don't want to really go into the nitty-gritty of... It's a, it's a mammoth piece of legislation. It's probably the, yeah. the one of the biggest bits of chemicals regulation anywhere in the yeah, world. It's, it's the most... I would say it's arguably the most influential piece of legislation in terms of chemicals, in terms of manufacturing, and certainly with regards to environmental protection in the EU. Yeah. And the, the Commission wanted to... Has, floated doing a bunch of things so it wants to take into account more how mixtures of chemicals interact because at the moment what you do uh, is you register individual substances and then individual substances are assessed based on their um, potential effects on human health or the environment. Yeah, which means that the levels on, um, you you just take into account the levels of each individual substance without looking at the total level. Yeah, so they, they were thinking about introducing something called a mixtures assessment factor, which would require certain amounts of data on how different chemicals interact. Um, There was other kind of proposals floating around uh, about potentially improving how companies upstream and downstream share safety information, because that's something which they've identified Mm -hmm. as a weakness. There's also the possibility of basically applying something called the generic approach which is to do with risk assessment and assuming that basically use constitutes a risk 
which is, applies for chemicals that are labelled as carcinogenic, mutagenic, or reprotoxic. And it means basically, as a health, or, a health or chemicals authority, you wouldn't have to provide endless, endless amounts of information that using a risky substance constitutes a risk. You would just say, well, this substance is risky, therefore we can safely assume that if you were to use it, that would generate <laughs> certain risks, right? And then there's also ideas around bringing into being the idea of essential use. I mean, one of, this is one of the things that you hear all the time in chemicals yes. policy, and particularly in the context of, for example, PFAS, which we've talked about a lot on this show. And then there's also the idea of introducing the concept of essential use of chemicals, which is an idea we've talked a lot about on this show in the context of PFAS. Those are um, forever, forever chemicals. chemicals used in frying pans, non-stick frying pans, and waterproof garments, etc., etc., where... Um, a substance could only be used if its use was classified as essential. That's hugely controversial, and the EU is going to be a huge source of lobbying over yeah. the next few years. So, yeah, the, the REACH revision proposal, it's fair to say, would introduce a lot of potentially really interesting new elements to the EU chemical yeah, sort think, of acquis. I think in, in terms of um, the one that's immediately identifiable as having the most impact is definitely the generic approach uh, changes, because... As you mentioned, it's going to lessen dramatically the burden on regulators. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one of the things that I, I'm I'm struggling a little bit with in this, I think everybody agrees, whether that's NGOs or even the chemicals yeah, lobbies the themselves, industry. that mm-hmm. there's parts of reach that could be made better. Yep. Um, and streamlined. There's been a huge amount of political pressure on the Commission from the European Parliament, particularly the centre right group, the EPP, which has been regularly calling now for a regulatory moratorium in mm. light of war in Ukraine, which they reckon is posing such a burden to European companies that the EU needs to basically slow down its overhaul of green policy and particularly reach. So that's been a there's also been pressure from the member states, pressure to a certain extent from the from the from the chemicals lobby as well. When you speak to industry, there's areas where there's broad recognition reform is needed, and particularly when it comes to, say, yeah. how chemicals get authorised for specific uses, which at the moment is a complete mess. Everyone would agree with that, I yeah. think. Yeah, and it's a cumbersome process, mm. and especially in an industry where things change really rapidly, it's a kind of ancient beast for something like that. Yeah. I mean, we are where we are. I think the Commission's work programme disappointed a lot of people, particularly the environmental NGOs who've worked really, really hard to um, keep this on the agenda, even with all of the disruption caused by the war in Ukraine. The Commission did then try and reassure people that it was committed to the same goals um, and would publish the revision proposal as soon as it was ready. But I don't know how much um, comfort NGOs have really drawn from that. Yeah, I think it's it sends a signal, right, to have something that is major, that that also is responding to a lot of... um, concerns from just everyday consumers as well yeah. it sends a signal that that is de-emphasized in the work program it it does convey that it's perhaps less of a priority whether that's true or not is another matter yeah. but yeah it's clear that public concern about chemicals isn't going anywhere so much scrutiny now in the way that there wasn't five years ago yeah. so i i think it's 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 going to continue to be an issue and the european union is going to continue to develop legislation around it as well. I think that's a fair bet. Back to you, Rachel. 
And that brings us to the end of this episode of The Eco Chamber. Thank you to Jamie Carpenter, Tess Colley, Simon Pixton and Alice Fillon. If you're interested in hearing more about any of the stories we've been discussing, please head over to energreport.com. Don't forget to subscribe and we will see you next time. <laughs>